This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. Located in Metro Atlanta. Seeks to be defined by grace, grace, grace community, community, and, and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Oh, man, I'm so glad to be here, Icon. Um, it's an honor and a privilege. So, uh... Let me just pray for us, and we'll get started with today's word. Heavenly Father, be magnified, be glorified in this place where where we are in spirit. You are here with us. So even though we can't be together physically, uh, Lord, I pray that you would meet us. Uh, Even if we might be at home, I pray that you would not leave us unchanged, that you might turn our hearts towards you, even as our as our, our, as our homes and our, our places where we study your word might be the same, Lord, I pray that there would be just a different sense and awareness around you today. Holy Spirit, all we need is in you. I pray that for all our insufficiencies, inadequacies, all our fears and all our addictions, all our favorite places to run, Lord, I pray that you would help us to find a home in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, today's scripture uh, will come from James chapter 2, uh, verses 14 to 22. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs. What is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith apart from works is barren? Was not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his work, and faith was brought to completion by the works. The word of the Lord. One of the interesting aspects of our culture is how aware we have become of the power of story. And we're in this generation where we're not just interested in something happening, you know, we're interested in how something came to be and trying to get closer to how things really are. I mean, we are interested in superheroes fighting crime, but we're also interested in how they began. What's their origin story? You know, we, it used to be that Batman fighting uh, off Penguin would be, that's the whole movie. But now we're like interested in what's the origin story behind the Joker, right? It's, it's not enough to find Nemo. We got to find Dory too, right? We're looking for these origin, origin stories. And stories like that, where we sort of get to peek behind the narrative and, and, and ask the question of where that narrative connects to this other narrative, they seem um, more truthful and objective. Like even the documentary format 
We've taken that format, which is supposed to be a medium to convey truthfully uh, things, and, and we've applied it to even other, other genres, like comedy. And that's the whole setup for the hit series uh, The Office and Parks and Rec. It's the mockumentary. It's this idea of uh, direct storytelling. It's what makes Twitter more compelling than the media, right? And it's, it's powerful when it's exposing government-controlled press, like uh, when Mexico was not reporting uh, the amount of control the drug uh, cartels were having. Or it's powerful when it's informing us of what is happening on the ground in Syria. But it's also how uh, Trump can communicate to the masses and stir up the media here. Kofifi. And what, what does that mean to the rest of us? I, I don't know. I don't know what, what in the world that means, but it's communication of some sort. He didn't take it back. Kofifi. We all talk about how stupid this is and how it's ruining our society. But we keep taking pictures of our food and following each other's vacations and liking each other's posts, uh, listening to so-and-so's Spotify list and checking out their reels and TikToks. We all say it's idiotic, but we all do it. And why do we do it? Because in all this self-disclosure, with all this direct and personal storytelling, we feel like we're getting closer to the truth about who we are. We feel like we're dropping breadcrumbs to the truth about how we are, the way we are. And if you knew my story, if you could see a day in my life, you would see the way you would see why I am the way I am, and my place in the world would be justified, and my idiosyncrasies understood and accepted. Let me tell my story, and we could not be enemies. We're trying to humanize ourselves through story, through words and images. I'm trying to make myself a whole being through ones and zeros. We were trying to do this long before social media. In um, the November 1938 issue of the Home and Garden magazine, there was a profile done of a very well-known, dare I say, infamous world leader. Let me read you a part of it, see if you can recognize who it is. Quote, there is nothing pretentious about the Fuhrer's little estate. The guest bedrooms are hung with old engravings his own watercolor sketches. The gardens are laid out simply enough. The Fuhrer has a passion about cut flowers in his home, as well as for music. Even in his meatless diet, Hitler is something of a gourmet. Adolf Hitler avoided alcohol, loved animals to the point of strict vegetarianism, and was kind to his staff and enjoyed the company of children. That's the story that Adolf Hitler tells about himself. That's a real published article trying to show his lifestyle to humanize him, to say, well, if you knew his story, you would see that he's not a monster. But it's bizarre, absolutely bizarre, right? It's not what Hitler would say about himself that's the problem. The story of Hitler told by Hitler is terrifyingly normal and average. It's what Hitler actually does. It's 
the havoc that Hitler wreaks upon the world around him. That's the problem. This is the limitation of story. You see, in the abstract, removed from any context and diverse and intimate community, we all sound reasonable and justified. Or at least we know how to tell our stories to that effect. But it's on the material actions and artifacts that we create and preserve that we might find ourselves hidden in plain sight. This is not a new phenomenon. I I submit to you this is a poor man's image of God because one of the attributes, and I concede it's a very unusual way to at least bring it up or introduce the topic of God, but God is material. God works in and through the material world and everything transformative, transformed, beautiful, and truthful and good has a manifestation in the material world. We cannot know God outside of the material world. Romans 1 talks about this, for what can be known about God is plain to us because God has shown it to us ever since the creation of the world. And because of this attribute of God, I want to suggest to you, it is why we need to do a better job of tending and creating and loving the material world as well. Here's my first point. Um, It's simply this, that the word of God is not part of the Trinity. Why? Because the word is tied to action, to matter, to manifestation, and to material things. One Spanish translation of John 1 translates, in the beginning was the word, in el principio existía el verbo, the verb. Did you catch that? El verbo. What kind of word is God? He's not a noun. He's a verb. God's word is action. This is the difference with, well, this is the difference between us and God. When we speak, we may desire to do good. We intend it. We mean it. But there is some distance between what we say and what we ultimately create. But when God speaks, light shines, waters part, continents shift, and trees appear. Life begins to thrive. Now, I know that literacy matters and the the word of God being recounted and preserved throughout history in Aramaic, Greek, Syriac, and all the various languages was so vital for us to read it in our language today. But I need to impress on you, the power of the word is not in the literature. Its power is to transform our real lives in the material world. In other words, it vibrates this so that my soul and spirit and body are joined in the material world. And that transformation bears material expression. Transformation bears material expression. And the most significant material expression of God's infinite love for us came in the form of Jesus, the incarnation. Now, don't don't sleep on this point. This is actually the the, the center point. 
This is important. Marshall McLuhan, a sociologist of the 60s, once said, first we build the tools, and then they build us. Very similarly, God formed Adam out of dust, and then in Christ Jesus, God takes Adam's form. And that's not haphazard or incidental. Consider this, that the God who created matter and energy, I know this is getting really way out there, it's very metaphysical at this point, he forms Adam out of that matter and breathes life into him. From that point on, God doesn't abandon the format even though he's God. God could do whatever he wants. Even though God could. And as far as we know from God's word, in terms of all that we know, while, yes, God uses angels occasionally, there is a persistent use and dependence of the material, the, on the medium of these materials. Real things and people that God speaks to and through for God's pleasure, will, and redemption. In fact, and this is why I would make the claim that if this reality and the materials were needed, if these if this reality and the materials around us, the, the real world, real things were to be abandoned, he could have done so. But God instead becomes human in the form of Jesus, takes on this material reality, and harmonizes any duality of being. I mean, think about that. He could have been an alien. He could have come as a different life form. I mean, Hinduism suggests that other life forms sort of reach sort of this nirvana state and then elevate to a different mode of being. It, it could have been such that we had that type of theology. But no, God preserves the material order and instead invest, like doubles down on it, doubles down on the form of man. Even though man was made in his image, he invests himself more deeply into this material form. And, and then even at Pentecost, right, after the resurrection, the Holy Spirit and the third person of the Trinity fills the new believers, takes residence in their very beings. And again, and I believe we can make a very strong biblical case that any duality of being is removed. This is the crux of the theology of incarnation. We are not simply spiritual beings living in a material world. We are not material boys and girls living in a spiritual world. We are a new incarnation of body and spirit in one. The Gnostic heresy that is sadly still affects the way we view the world today is dualistic and it divides our being between body and spirit. But I want to say that we are fused in body and spirit in Christ. And I say this because Christ himself returned to his body upon resurrection. And even if you read all the way to the, to the end of the book, the book of Revelation speaks to the fact that our cultures and our tribes will be intact when we worship God in heaven. Therefore, my identity is rooted in my body and spirit, not just spirit alone, as the Gnostics said, or body alone, as the materialists say. And yet God is material. This doesn't mean that God is pantheistic, that God is all things, or panentheistic, that God is simply in all things. I'm not saying that God can't also be immaterial, but in Jesus and in us, God is also 
material. And if the incarnation were not true, we would have trouble, and we have trouble acknowledging this paradox, which I I concede is is a mind-blowing paradox. We needed several councils to get to this point to to argue about the hypostatic union and homoousius versus homo uh, homoousius. And so we had all these arguments about this. But still, the thing that is before us in Christ is fundamentally a mystery. It's a mystery that we bought into and say, like, I submit to, I commit to the mystery. Even I myself have to concede, I am a mystery. If we're to deny this paradox, we might as well be Jews or Muslims, because this key theological point is one of our distinctives as Christians. And why does it matter? If my body is as intrinsic to my being as my spirit, my being Asian matters to God. Your blackness matters to God. Your whiteness is intrinsic to your being and part of God's design for the kingdom. This means we don't just throw off these bodies like some sort of heavy meat coat. Like, I don't need this no more. It's too hot. We steward these bodies and fight for the bodies of others so that we might save both bodies and souls. I don't know if I did a a job of uh, clarifying anything, but... uh, As I'm laying out this argument, it's simply this. First of all, is that our stories verbally are not the center of our truth. I'm starting with the premise that our beings, our material beings, the things we actually affect in the material world. I mean, if I were to say it simply in a proverb that you and I would understand is that actions speak louder than words. But it's more than actions. I'm starting with the premise that the word of God is inherently creative. And while we bear the God, the image of God, in that we can also create, there is a space, there is a gap between our speech and our actions and possessions. We have this tendency, we have, and I would say we're not doing it intentionally, even inadvertently, we separate the material and the spiritual. This is the root of all our hypocrisies. And this is why Jesus is so crucial as both God and man in one body to help us even recognize and how to reconcile the gap in our own lives. Sometimes the space between words and actions In the space between words and actions, we create idolatries and delusions about who we are and what we're trying to do. And that detachment is greater in our sin because that dissonance between who we are and what we have done is too great. And it just creates all kinds of pathologies in us when it goes unexamined. Here's a simple sort of theoretical uh, example. There's been studies recently, some, some papers recently, where they talk about one of the, way, the ways it's affected our bodies and our sense of detachment within our beings, um, particularly in historical uh, context. One paper talks about the reason why 
uh, Western white worship is the way that it is, is somehow there's this dissonance between the kingdom of God and the pursuit of empire, colonization, war, and expansion. And so one of the ways it shows up in our worship collectively, in church worship, is that it's pushed us to intellectualize our faith. It becomes hyper-rational, non-emotional, because to recognize the trauma that has been created, to recognize the dissonance between loving our neighbor and then conquering nations, the amount of bloodshed and inhumanity and moral compromise and the high cost of hyper-individualism and imperialism cause a practically out-of-body experience. And therefore, our Western white worship is, generally speaking, in the in the in sort of the the overall generalization, is that it's clinical, it's intellectual, doesn't doesn't really have anything. It doesn't engage the body. It's all about understanding, doctrine, right thinking. But worship is a very static. Whereas brown and black folks have had to fully inhabit their bodies in worship with dancing and singing, swaying and shouting. These aren't just cultural preferences. This is about the integration of our beings, trying to handle the trauma, the loss and the grief. About reckoning with our sense of incarnation. And I want to say this is not meant to to victimize or or condemn. I'm asking the point is if we were to be whole, Jesus wants to heal our bodies and souls and make us one. Again, here I want to say that when the Spirit moves in us to heal us and integrate us, the good that we speak and the good we are able to carry out in action becomes a much more holistic and integrated and continuous thing. It doesn't become a multi-step process. It becomes a single flowing motion. The ramifications for this are deep and healing. This integration that needs to happen between the material and the spiritual is crucial to us recognizing that our consumerism cannot fill in the gap. Our workaholism will not fill in the void. Our addictions will not fill it. Our sense of justice and overworking for the kingdom, while it may be good, will still not fill in the gap if the Holy Spirit does not integrate us. Some of us, we're going about good work the wrong way. We're not whole beings yet. And what I want to consider and what I'm proposing today is that if we understand that our material beings reflect this lack, then this unity between body and spirit needs to happen. And we need to not disregard that which is material. These real things matter. This is not just a spiritual faith that we are pursuing. So to return to our James passage, our faith is not an abstraction something that we merely say. It is something that we must put into motion. 
Our truth does not merely emanate from our stories, but also out of our possessions. The transformative good of Christ begins to take material expression in our lives. It is less a separation between faith and works and a natural flow between who I am in Christ and what I do. In this healing, our witness becomes credible, not in the beyond, but here in the material world. I spoke a couple weeks ago about paradox. If anything is to help us recognize and deal with the paradox, it's to understand how what we say with our lips and yet what we do with our lives, that paradox needs to be confronted. In a whole sense, we betray Christ all the time. We talk about the poor. We talk about um, the lonely and the lost. But sometimes our behaviors say otherwise. We promote an ideology that with our actions, we tear, tear down every day. What Christ wants to do in our lives is not just have you believe in him, but even in our belief that our actions would cause others to believe in him. And this is a way in which we need to evaluate ourselves. We don't want our possessions to betray us. That the truths that we proclaim, that our actions belie a different truth. This is what ha is happening with the hypocrisy of the Christian church today. As we talk about healing, and we exhibit abuse. We talk about generosity, and we exhibit greed. We talk about humility, so much arrogance and pride. What the church needs to be is to be fully integrated and healed. You can't do that if you vilify material things and say you uphold spiritual truths. It's nonsense. And only the unhealed can't see it. Hear the word again. And I'll close with this. I'll close with the rereading of James 2. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and you do not supply their bodily needs. But what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I by my works will show you my faith. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith apart from works is barren? Was not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was brought to completion by the work. The faithful word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, 
We come to you recognizing that we are born hypocrites, that the American dream and the kingdom of God do not lead to the same destination, that the people we profess to be, a city on a hill, salt and light in the earth, that we are the good. Lord, our actions betray us. We are incessant consumers and projectors and purveyors of a lifestyle that do not reflect the red-lettered words of Christ. That we are a violent people, even though we speak peace. We are a greedy people, though we go on mission trips. We are an intolerant people, though we speak about love. Forgive us, O oh God. We have forgotten that you care mostly about people. There are so many hungry, there are so many lonely, there are so many broken. Lord, I pray that the church would rise up and not just take hold of this incongruency, but that they would embrace, embrace the reality we live in, not to deny it, not to deny the environment and the climate that we live in, not to deny the neighborhoods that are shifting and changing in color and, and attacks incentives. Lord, we want to embrace the communities and cities that we live in. We want a faith that impacts real things, real systems, and real people. The demons shudder. and they believe. I pray that we would do more than shudder. Move our hearts towards you, O oh God. And may we begin to move the real things and objects and people in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is our benediction at Open Table, so I wanna share with you, Icon, because I, I consider you part of my family. It's a call and response, so I just want you to say it back to me. Now go, to, go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men and women. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Amen. Go in peace. Go be the church. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. 
please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.